Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and right now I am joined by Enrique Bertrand, also known as maybe more famously known as Newbie DM uh, through his blog and on Twitter. Um, he is a Emmy-winning uh, television producer, general geek, and has been a D&D enthusiast, uh, writer, and a member of the online D&D community for almost 10 years now, I believe. Um, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. This is the first time I come on your show, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a few times, but it's never actually happened, but here we are. Yes. And thank you. I'm finally glad it, it worked out and wanted to check in with you. How, how are things down south and recovering from the storm and everything? Yeah. So uh, Hurricane Irma hit Florida pretty bad. And thankfully, luckily, you know, we were... I, you know, I'm in Miami, so we were spared a big, the big brunt of the storm. The Florida Keys got got hit pretty hard, though. We have some friends down there who, who aren't doing so hot, but you know, hopefully everything will work out for them. And and here in Miami, we, you know, we dealt with some power outages and internet outages and fallen trees and stuff like that, but nothing quite like the Keys, which were, you know, pretty much devastated it's really sad yeah so family and house and all that is more or less everybody safe and intact yeah my, i mean my immediate family we're good we're intact you know i have a, I have some extended family down in the keys that aren't isn't doing so hot we have some friends in the keys that that aren't you know they lost their house so you know it's there's been a little bit of pain but overall we're you know my immediate family and i were okay good well and, and good luck to you and everybody else who's um recovering and dealing with that aftermath. I know I've went through that myself when I lived in Houston and Hurricane Ike came through in 2009, I think it was. And we had to get a new roof and we had flooding damage in the house. And it's scary. It makes you feel very small. Oh yeah. It's, it's not fun. I was, uh, I was 19 when Hurricane Andrew came by Miami back in 1992. And that was a huge category five monster. And, you know, where I lived in Miami at the time, we got spared, but it, it, it was scary. They're, these storms are scary. It's not not something to play around with. No, not at all. But one thing to play around with is, is D&D, which, how's that for a segue? <laughs> That's some segue. That is awesome. All right. <laughs> yeah, so we have known each other online for going on about six years. You actually gave me my first writing opportunity related to D&D. I, I just threw it up, threw up the link on Twitter. I had I had an idea for this in-world, in-the-campaign-world newsletter that I had created using some type of uh, program, printed it up, and gave it to my players. And it had a lot of plot hooks and introduced NPCs, and I just thought it was a neat idea, and I pitched it to you, and you're like, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to host the article. And I wrote that back in January of 2011. You posted it, and it's still on your site, which I think is awesome. I have the, the full archive of articles starting from, I think, 2010 or 2009. They're all up there for anybody to go in there and, and read old D&D 4E articles and whatnot. Good stuff. There's some good stuff in there. Like, the, your article is good. There's, there's a bunch of good stuff there. Yeah, so newbdm.com. Go check it out if you've been under a rock and have not been there uh, before. <laughs> It's amazing how time flies, though. We started this whole blogging scene with 4E back, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. We're already creeping up on 2018. Amazing. 
Yeah, and just maybe that's a good place to start, having been pretty prominently involved in that online community uh, with you know yourself, Mike Shea, a bunch of other people who have been doing podcasts, writing articles. How have things changed for you over time? How has it changed over time? Well, I think I think there's always like the hot new thing, right? Like I remember, so the blogs were kind of the, the way I got into blogging was because of a website called the RPG Bloggers Network. Okay. I happened to find, I happened to stumble upon it one day, and I said, "Oh, that, that's kind of cool. Let me uh, see if I can put my blog there and, and join this network." Right now, you know, now you have fifty thousand people streaming their D and D games on Twitch, and that, that's the hot new thing, right? Uh, Twitter came out, and that was the hot new thing, and people said, well, blogs are going to die because now there's this thing called G+, where people are writing on Google+, and who needs a blog now? You have your Google+, page, and you have Twitter, and you have your your video. So it's changed a lot because you see all these sort of new platforms come out and and sort of become the new hot thing. You know, sometimes I, 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 I'm not going to lie, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, why do I still have this blog? Do people still come and, <laughs> are people still coming to this blog to read anything? But then the answer is yes, they, they are. So, you know, whenever you post a new article, you still see that people come and, you know, they read your, your things. Or there's a lot of legacy articles there that people seem to enjoy reading or, or mm-hmm. are used as, as you know, people uh, link to it on Reddit and stuff like that. So I, as long as someone's getting something out of it, I guess it's I guess it's good to keep the blog around, you know. Yeah, and I I haven't been writing nearly as much, I think. Just I haven't been playing as much. When I was playing much more often, it was easier to come up with ideas and write about things that were on my mind and just in recent years haven't had the opportunity to play as much and now I have a little one and, and that takes up some time in a good way and it's something that I always keep meaning to like, Oh, I want to write more. I want to write more. Um, but it's turned into the podcasting. So this is a way for me to stay kind of in tune with the hobby and something I care about. And in a lot of ways for me, the podcasting takes less time than the writing. For example, I was having this conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll chat for a while. I'll edit it, put it up an article. I would sometimes take days or weeks kind of writing and editing so it's just interesting how the format changes for folks. And I think a lot of people have gravitated towards the video content. Um, and even D&D puts out, like, the actual play episodes and stuff like that. That's been a really interesting development. What What are your thoughts about that? So I'm going to come across as the cranky old man yes. in the room. But <laughs> but I'm not really a big – I'm not really big into the video streams and – Watching people play D and D, and that that scene is sort of not my not my thing. Um, I guess it's I guess it's mostly a time thing. I don't really have a lot of time to sit down and watch um, watch a lot of that stuff. Plus, I work in television, and the last thing I want to do is get home to watch a screen with people doing something in it. <laughs> I do that all day at work. Right, you've had enough of that. Yeah, I've had enough screens, and I've had enough video and TV. You know. At work, uh, this is not something I'm really looking forward to doing when I get home. And I have a few shows that I enjoy watching, and even that's like whenever I get to it. Like, you know, there's some appointment TV that I have, like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, but that's about it. You know, it's, uh, I'm just not into the whole streaming thing. It's just not my thing. Watching people play video games or watching people play D and D is just not. 
but but I understand that a lot of people find it entertaining and good for them. And the more options for people to be entertained, the better, I guess. Mm-hmm. This is not my thing. So, I, you know, I, the podcast, I do listen to a lot of podcasts um, because it's easy for me to load them up on the phone and just listen to them on my way, um, way to work. Sure. And I still enjoy finding good podcasts out there and, and listening to to um, DM advice episodes and, and uh, you know, general commentary and whatnot, people talking about D&D and stuff like that. But actual play videos and stuff like that is not really my thing. No, I, don't, I don't enjoy that. What other, if any other, change do you think, just specifically going from, from fourth edition to fifth edition in the last, you know, five, six years have, in terms of the, like the D&D scene, is is a change for the better or worse? Certainly, the video stuff that you're you're not a fan of. Are there other things that you enjoy the direction that the game I, and the scene are going into? I mean, I really appreciate the fact that Five E did what it was supposed to do for Watsi, right? When Five E was coming out, I, I sort of knew that they were coming out with a new edition, not because anybody had told me anything, not because I had any insight sources at Wizards of the Coast, but because I had been paying attention to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I was paying attention to the Twitter streams and and whatnot, and I kind of I even wrote an article predicting it that 5e was coming out. And you know, not to, you know, I I kind of hit it on the mark with that article. And one of the things that they predicted was a, a game that was going to bring the community together and grow the game and and feel old school and this and that and 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 they hit it they hit they hit it out of the park with 5e. I think that, I think it's a great game. I I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I think what what they set out to do with with fifth edition, they, they 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 hit it out of the park. What do you think fifth edition has really nailed to bring people back into the fold? So I think fifth edition, I think fifth edition was able to get rid of a lot of the perceived complexities of D and D, and that weird on-ramp that that I think D&D had a, had a perception problem where it was kind of if you didn't get it by now and you didn't really understand it by now you were never going to get it and you know unless you had someone to teach you how to play the game you weren't going to really ever get it and I think 5th edition kind of broke that because the game's very simple 5e is a simple game to pick up and play and learn uh, you know if, if you have uh, the, the starter set I thought was a really good was a really good on-ramp for the game. Uh, it did a great job of of getting people up and ready and playing, and and the rules themselves aren't aren't difficult to grasp. And then, even though again, even though I'm not really a fan of it, all these actual play videos I think really do help the game and really do help get get the message out about you know how fun it is to play D and D and and how easy it is to to play it. And I, I think that has been a a good thing for the game because the game has grown. I mean, if you if you if you dig deep into the woods there, and you get into the the sales data and stuff like that, even though they don't put out numbers, you see some of the roll twenty numbers that come out. You see some of the, I think it's ICV two, the, the the gaming website that puts out kind of charts about the top games. Five mm-hmm. B is doing really well, and I think the player's handbook is like on its sixth or seventh print print run. I'm not sure. I, I don't want to get into that because I'm not really sure. But, I, right. but I've heard. But it seems like it's been successful. Yeah, it's been a successful game, and I think it's I think it has to do with with you know the the game that they designed. They designed a fun, easy game to, to get into, and and kudos to Watsi because you know they really took um, they really took a gamble I think with 
5e and it paid off it paid off for them and it seems that the culture surrounding i don't know if it's wizard so much or this edition or just the the community it seems to be more accessible in a lot of ways like they're trying to bring new people not only former players who maybe were turned off by fourth edition but just new players or different different types of players in, into the mix do you get that same sense or i do but i, I... I think they're making, they're in the process, and I still think that that process is ongoing right now, but they're really in the process of making D&D really cool mm-hmm. and making D&D something like, that's kind of like hip now to play D&D. You have all these Hollywood figures that are coming out of the woodwork now that, mm-hmm. I mean, dude, you have a guy, you know, a Hollywood guy writing a script for a D&D movie that may never get made, but the guy wrote a script because he wants to make a cool D&D movie. I mean, look at that. That's that's kind of neat, right? you know? That's kind of interesting where where the culture is sort of accepting D&D as, as this hip thing that we all knew it was hip when we started playing. And now everybody else is catching on to, to the message, you know? I mean, who would have told – I mean, like, I've been playing a long time. I've been playing D&D since – you know, I'm, I'm pushing 45. I've been playing D&D since I was in high school. Who would have told me back when I was in high school sitting in my friend's beanbag that – one day people were going to go to a movie theater to watch a live play of D&D from some banquet from some theater and some convention somewhere you know right that's just like amazing to me and you wrote like an article feeling... about a year ago about the stranger things and how i mean that was just up for an emmy last night as we're recording this and i mean that was like one of the biggest shows on netflix a ton of people watched it and the nostalgia for not only the 80s but D&D I, just how popular that was was pretty eye-opening it, it was it was pretty eye-opening and and it but that's how, the stranger things thing too that's part of the it's part of what i'm talking about where it's where it's out there in the pop culture now and it's kind of in your face and and it's not this thing that basement dwellers are quote-unquote doing anymore you know all the all the freaks and geeks you know that i include myself in that in that it's not this thing that freaks and geeks are doing hiding out you know in their friend's basement anymore. It's things that are being done out in the open. The game's being played everywhere. You, you see it in pop culture. You see famous people playing it and talking about it. And it's kind of neat. It's really, it's, it's, I really believe that 5e, the game is going through like a, a renaissance almost. And it's pretty cool to see because we're in the middle of it. And we're, you know, I like to think that, that some of us bloggers and some of us, you know, uh, members of the community are, are a big part of that, you know? It's been fun to it's, see. And I know if just, anecdotally on my end telling people over the years like oh what'd you do this weekend i was like oh i was, I was out gaming or playing D. whereas before you'd get this cross-eyed look and now it's more of like a oh like really people who are not into it but they seem more interested instead of disgusted <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um which is you know a little bit of a subtle change but i, I and i feel personally and plus because i'm over 40 as well at this point it's like my interests are my interests, and I, I, I'm not ashamed of them in any way. But I just feel more comfortable telling people. But for, for the most part, the reaction is like, "Oh, that's cool." Or, "When are you playing again? Can I play?" <laughs> like, I, I mean, you know how many you know how many people ask me, "Hey, isn't that what you play?" When when you know when Stranger Things hit, and, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what I play." Oh, well, what's up with that? How do you play that? Or what is it? You know, it, it sparked a lot of interest, and. There was an article recently in Rolling Stone about the Star Wars role-playing game, mm-hmm. the old D6 West End games game that also, I think, sparked a lot of conversations. I had people asking me about that, too. They're like, oh, you play D&D, but have you heard about this? 
uh, I read this in online on Rolling Stone or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, is it cool? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, you know, I think I think role playing games are, are kind of. They're, they're, I don't want to say they've gone fully mainstream. I, I don't believe they have, but I believe they're well on their way to get there. Um, and it's been fun to watch. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I have nothing to do with it. I have no stake in it, but I'm really happy and really proud of of D and D and the way that it's sort of sort of grown up out there, and and people are really taking to it. And so, right now, how often how, how often do you get a chance to play? Not as often as I'd like. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. But uh, um, no, so I have a uh, one of the things um, that I really got into a, a few years ago is uh, online gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I play a lot on Roll Twenty. I have a, a group that I started, uh, and it's not the same players, but but it came from that. Um, it's a group that I started about five or six years ago on Roll Twenty. I want to say maybe 2012 or so. And and I've been playing a lot of D and D on on that on that platform, which I think is a great platform. I really love Roll Twenty. And then I have my gaming group at home that every few months we sort of start up a campaign and then it dies, and then we wait a few months and then we start off a new campaign and then it dies, and you know uh, repeat on a, on a sort of loop there over and over again. It's the same guys that I've been playing with, mm-hmm. you know, since high school or whatever. Um, right now, right now, I'm I'm in two games. Right now, I'm playing an online game and I'm playing a home game that just started uh, a week ago as of this recording. Okay. And it's a uh, both are Tomb of Annihilation games. Yeah, and that just came out. And disclaimer: I got a, a copy of Tomb of Annihilation from Wizards as kind of a review copy, which was very kind of them. So I started started going through that product, and one of the things you know they've released several of these adventure books so there's been out of the abyss uh horde of the dragon queen there's a few other ones as well uh curse of strahd which i our group played a few sessions of uh last last year or so what is it about tomb of annihilation that maybe has a better chance of getting your group to meet more consistently my excitement about it okay i really like this adventure um, and why I haven't written that? my review. Well, I haven't written my review yet for the website, but I'm going to. But I'll give you a spoiler. I love this adventure. I, I. Why is it? Because I really think that Tomb of Annihilation is like 5e hitting on all cylinders. Okay. And I said this on Twitter the other day, and I'll tell you, and, I, and I'm not. This isn't me being. You know, it's not hyperbole on my part. I really believe this is the best adventure Watsi has put out in the past ten years. It's high going back, to, going back to 4E for sure. Okay. I mean, this is the best adventure that I've, I've I've seen from Watsi since at least 2008. I think it's just so well done. The the storyline itself, I I really like it. Uh, I I think it's a, you know, it's it, it's got high stakes. It's the, the world that they've created, even though it's a it's a peninsula, you know, a small peninsula in a, in a remote part of the world, I think it's a it, it, the way they wrote it and the way it it comes to life. It's so rich and so f- full of things to do. Even before you get into the main quest, there's tons of things to do. The characters, the 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 way the world feels like a like a real lived world with real people that that 
that are in it. You know, it's not a bunch of generic bunch of stock characters but there's you know there's a diverse cast of characters there there's people about you know different all different types of people the the, the diversity is pretty great you know they, they've really done a good job with this adventure I, i'm really 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 happy with it i think it's i mean i think it's the best 5e adventure they've put out yet awesome and so yeah. compared to some of the other adventures they've put out like i I was really excited about uh, Curse of Strahd when I kind of picked that up and was reading through it, and it seemed like a really kind of interesting approach to a campaign. And I think I bought it around Halloween, which probably added. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like, oh, this seems like a perfect time, and got the group together, and we played more or less, I don't know, I think we played maybe four or five sessions. Uh, just kind of got through the intro adventure and to some of the other stuff. And then just for whatever reason, well, multiple reasons, it just kind of fizzled out. And then the players weren't that excited about it, and I wasn't really that thrilled to get back into it, which probably says more to me about the adventure. But compared to some of the other products they've put out, like what shines in this as opposed to some of the other adventures that Watsi's put out? So... And it's funny you mentioned Strahd because I I ranked my top three adventures for 5e so far. And my top three are Tomb, Strahd came in at number two, mm-hmm. and then The Lost Mine of Fendelver, which is the, the starter set. set adventure. Yeah, that was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. That came in at number three. And then the rest of them, in any particular order, because I really don't care much for any of them, um, and it isn't that they're bad per se. It's just that the story hooks and the storylines don't really grab me mm-hmm. as much as as these three did. Um, the Strahd one in particular, you know, I, that was a nostalgic grab, mm-hmm. and and I admit to it that it was just nostalgia. I, I've had a thing for Ravenloft. I, you know, I, I own the second edition Ravenloft box set. Uh, the original first edition adventure, you know, the Ravenloft's kind of a classic, mm-hmm. and I've always sort of I've liked that setting, I've liked that that character, and you know, with Five E they they kind of got me there, and and I bought it, and 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 I like it. I mean, I, I think it's a well done. I even played before they even came out with that one. Um, one of my players ran me through a conversion of Ravenloft for Five E. Okay. And we we played it for we played it for a few months. I really enjoy Ravenloft. It's it's something I like. But this adventure, one of the things I like about Tomb is that it's clearly it's clearly influenced uh, by nostalgia, but it's not it's not held to it and it's not it's not something that weighs it down. Okay. So like if you look at the map, let's you know, if you look at the map, the the basic map of the adventure, you the empty hexes in the in the player's map. It looks a lot like the Isle of Dread map mm-hmm. from the expert box set back in the day with the empty hexes that you have to explore the island and and sort of fill in as you go. It's a hex crawl. Right. And and the first thing I you know when I saw the map I'm like oh that's a, that looks just like the Isle of Dread and if you flip the map it's actually kind of very similar to the Isle of Dread. So and then you know obviously the Tomb of Horrors. Um, influence there with Acerac is, is a big nostalgic push, but you know it's not two Moors. It's something else. It's something completely different. So there's all these weird and little nostalgic 
um, touches, but the adventure itself is not a nostalgic, you know, cash grab. Hmm. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an original adventure. It's, it's, it's good. It's well written. It's, it's fun. And, and I think that's what draws me to it. I, I just, I really enjoy, it's got a bunch of, you know, little design elements to it that are kind of clever and they, they can exist on their own outside of the adventure and you could just sort of transport them into your own, um, settings and into your own adventures. They're kind of modular in that regard. The way some of the locations are set about and, and chult as you go exploring. So you might find something you like. Oh, look, this goblin village is kind of cool. Let me just pluck this whole thing and move it over to my game. And I don't even have to be playing a chult game. But the, the things that happen in this village and the way this village is, you know, written, I'm just going to run it over here in my home game. And, and, and the book is full of stuff like that, that, that you could take with you and, and transport it somewhere else if you don't care to run the, the storyline. And I think it's just it's really it's a it's a really well designed book in that regard. Crossing the streams a little bit. I'm kinda of reminded of some of our our conversations we've had on Twitter about The Force Awakens and how that movie called back to some things from the original but was its own thing. And would you say there's kind of overlap in how they're approaching this adventure with that mentality, or is it better or worse? Someone told me and you know who it was? it was? Dean. I don't know if you're familiar. My friend Dean um, Torg Hacker on, on Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually met him in Gen Con 2012. Okay, so Dean told me once, few, few, maybe it was two years ago or so, he said, we're at the age now where people our age are in positions of power where they can create things that appeal to their nostalgia. Mm. And he's talking about specifically about content creators and that, and that sort of thing. Whereas a few years ago, you saw things from the 80s coming back, and now you're seeing people who were kids in the 90s being of old enough to create things that were, you know, uh, that appealed to them when they were kids. So now you're seeing DuckTales come back and stuff like that. Yes, but, just I, know, need to, not, I need to just mark out for DuckTales briefly. Yeah, so it might not be, you know, it might not be my generation, but the, a couple people, you know, maybe a couple years younger than me are starting to be in these positions. So I, I think we're living in an age where, where nostalgia is king right now because the people creating content are old enough to create it and and be in positions where they can get it made. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when you're asking me about Star Wars specifically and and, and D&D, yeah, I think it's all part of this movement that's going on. You know, we are talking about Stranger Things earlier. You know, I think there's this whole thing in entertainment where they're really – the people creating content are people who are creating content that, that appeals to them because it you know it harkens back to their youth and 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 they're also driven by nostalgia, and so yes, the, the crossing of the streams with, with Star Wars and D and D and this whole five E nostalgia thing, absolutely, I, I I believe it's all a it's all a it's all being done on purpose. But I, and I think your point was a good one that like Curse of Strahd is more of a an update of of Ravenloft. And I think even in – was there a fifth edition? I know there was definitely a fourth edition Tomb of Horrors, correct? Didn't they update it for 4E? There was a 4E Tomb of Horrors that I believe – Right, yeah. Was a DM's reward for for the Encounters program or something like that. And I think there was on one of the Dragon Digital magazines or the Dungeon Digital Dragon uh, – the digital magazines, I think there was a Tomb of Horrors – version 
I don't know if there's a 5e one. I think it might have been one of the digital magazines before they got. I believe it was back a, when the game was D&D Next. They had something that was like fourth edition because I remember running. Now it's coming back to me. It was years ago. I, there was like a campaign book where it was like four different tombs and. They were in different parts of the realms or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they came out with a hardcover, but they also came out with a with a right. with a softcover DM's reward Tuma Horrors, correct? So I think if they would have come out with Tuma Horrors again, but fifth edition, I think people would have been turned off by that. And what they've done is it seems like they've taken a bunch of different nostalgic ideas, but made it into something new. Yes. And yeah. and that seems to be the best of of all worlds. Of kind of itching that kind of nostalgic vibe, but also giving you new content, new new adventures, new ideas to. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I want to pick your brain because you've gotten and I've actually played the adventure a bit. One of the things with Strahd after kind of the early portion of that adventure is, as a DM, I felt a little bit lost. It was like, okay, here's this whole campaign book. The players could kind of go anywhere and do anything. And I wonder, is um, Tomb of Annihilation similar in that sense, or does it give you a little bit more structure? So, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but right. too much. So, Tomb of Annihilation, I mean, there's going to be spoilers here, obviously. So, if you're going to play and you want to not listen to spoilers, this might not be the best podcast to listen to. But so, the way it's laid out, it's laid out as a hex crawl, basically. Uh, and you're in this contained peninsula, the peninsula of Cholt. Um, and, and the way the story is laid out, your players have to go basically hex crawling. Mm-hmm. Uh, explore the hex, explore the hex, explore the hex until you get to where, where this lost city of Omo is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the ultimate goal is finding this city. The, the reason they go into the jungle is to find this city of Omo where uh, the... the, the uh, the object of their quest lies. Right. So way to be vague. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> the do I believe that the players run the risk of going getting no wandering aimlessly? No, because the map isn't that big. At some point, you're gonna hit the hex you're, you're supposed to find. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about it is that wanders clues along the way of pointing you in the direction you should be going. And two, there are a ton of neat locations, so it shouldn't be boring. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, you know, random encounter after random encounter after random encounter. I mean, there are there is that element. There is the element of random encounters, but there is also a bunch of fun locations and a bunch of fun creatures that you could meet meet up with and face that that will be memorable. I mean, yeah, you know. The, the, the zombie T-Rex. I mean, come on. Yeah, give me 10 of those. That's awesome. Right. You know, <laughs> it's a zombie T-Rex that spits out other zombies. Yes, please give me more, you know. So, no, I don't I don't think I don't think the 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 issue you had in Strahd is going to be a problem here because there's a very set goal. And there's only a limited amount of space to crawl around it. So while it's going to take maybe it might take you some time, you're not going to be bored and they're not going to have, you know, they're going to be they're not going to be lacking things to do because there's a ton of things to to they've they've really packed the peninsula with with places and people to interact with. 
And it seems like the, well, you know, I'm just paging through the, the content. So one, one of the like, first things that stuck out to me that I really enjoy that I don't know if the other books have done this is it has a pronunciation guide right up front, which I love because I'm not as steeped in the lore of, of D&D as some other folks. So, And just some of the new characters. It's just nice to have that guide. Is that a new thing? You're catching me off guard with that question. I don't remember if the other adventures have a pronunciation guide. And I mean, I can. I'm looking. My... I look through Strahd, and I don't think there's one in here. At least not. You're like... talking about in the. You're talking about in the page with all the NPCs in it. Yes. Yeah. It's like the. It's like page four. I mean, you got to keep in mind that maybe some of these Cholten names might be a little hard to pronounce. Yeah. Because they're not. You know, it's got its own sort of flavor to it. So maybe that's why they did it. I, I honestly can't recall if. If the other adventures have that. Well, if anyone from Watsi is listening, I think that would be an awesome thing to do for all of the all of the adventures going forward. Because I sometimes feel like when I'm running something, I was like, I just want to like call NPCs Kevin. I made that joke the other day, just so, <laughs> just so it's like easy to pronounce well, it, their. It does names. bring it does bring a whole sidebar about Cholton names and NPC names for you to have on the fly in case you need to name somebody, mm-hmm. which I thought was a nice touch. You know, I'm actually using, and, and and this is a good segue. Yeah. I'm actually using D and D Beyond version of the story. Okay. And um, how's that been working out? I haven't I haven't messed around too much with that since the the beta of when I was testing it out. I was but that was months so, ago. So I'm really of the belief that that Five E doesn't really need digital tools too much. It's kind of a simple game. I mean, I I can appreciate that people like their digital tools and stuff like that. For me personally, I don't I don't know that I need it beyond, you know, my roll twenty is enough for me. But I will say I I bought the D and D Beyond version of the book because it was a lot cheaper than the cover price of the hardback. And two, I didn't have a review copy of the story, and I needed to run my 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 game with it. And I'm really enjoying the the D&D Beyond version of it. It's really well done. Um, I paid $25 for it. It includes all the maps, keyed and unkeyed, mm-hmm. um, high def art, you know, the, all the arts and you know, high resolution. And then it's set up kind of like a wiki with hyperlinks where I click on, you know, you can click on different chapters and different different characters and different monsters and it opens up a stat block or it opens up a it's really it's, it's really well done I, i'm really i'm really um finding it very useful and and i think moving forward based on my experience with this version of next storyline i'll probably end up buying it on D beyond as well and so D beyond for as a as a dm what can you do with that like how, how do you how do you interact with the players on that or I haven't really explored D&D beyond my copy of Tomb of Annihilation, to be perfectly honest with okay. you. So it's just kind of a, a resource that you use to run the game. It's got the compendium content, which it has the, I guess it has the, the 5e SRD in it with all the rules and the all the uh, the basic monsters that they give away for free and, and, and the rules and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that stuff is available on Roll20. Okay. So if I have to access it while I'm playing, I'll use the Roll20 version just because I'm, I'm already on that platform. Okay. Um, I'm really just using D&D Beyond for, for Tomb, really. Uh, I have no other use for it. And it has all the player handouts in there? It has everything. It has okay. everything. 
everything. And every book. piece of uh, every piece of art that I assume comes in the book is here, uh, including the maps. Uh, and I, like I said, both keyed and unkeyed, which I think is a really a welcome welcome thing. Yeah, and just the um, the handouts that are in the book. I mean, I think it's a good ten to fifteen pages of of handouts that are um, really well done that you could. You know, obviously give out to the players to demonstrate things. I know that's always been an issue with me when I was running games in the past because I haven't run things online. usually run them in person. It's trying so, to show players, like, here's a picture, but it's in the book, so I have to take it, a picture with my phone and then transfer it to the computer, or it just gets cumbersome. So I've been – so my wife bought me a, an iPad for Father's Day. Okay. So now I have two iPads because the – she replaced a really old one I had. I had one of the old iPad 2s from back in like 2010. Okay. So I've actually – I have two copies of Tomb loaded up in the iPads. And what I do with the old iPad is I put all the handouts there and I just hand them the iPad when I'm going to hand them a handout. Okay. And, you know, that's their copy of the handout. They can read it off the iPad and if they have to reference it again, they can just grab the iPad and, and look at it again. So I'm not actually printing anything or – what are excellent? Uh, what I did print out, I created a poster of it. Was the hex map um, for the adventure, the empty hex map that the players get at the beginning of the adventure? Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a poster out of that, even though the book comes with them. But again, I don't have the book, so I printed out from Mike Schley's website. Okay. And I mounted it on foam core, and that's kind of the the, the poster that the, the map that we're using at the table. And so how, kinda, how big is that? Is that like movie poster size or? No, no, no. It's not that big. Okay. I printed it out. It's uh, it's sixteen by twenty-two or so. It's four okay. left-sized pages put together. Okay, so that's a good size. Yeah, it's a good size. It's and like seventeen by twenty-two, I believe. What are what are some of the useful? I don't know. If shortcuts is the right word, but what are some of the the skills from DMing for so long that? you put that into practice that you think new DMs could uh, benefit from? For this particular adventure? Or in for, this, for this adventure or in general? There's one thing I really like about this adventure. It's the, And I got into a discussion with it the other day with Alpha Stream, mm-hmm. uh, with Teos. Teos, yep. Um, Teos, um, so the adventure begins with your player's Teleporting the, the characters teleporting into the city of Port Nianzaru mm-hmm. in Cholt. And they teleport in, and they're supposed to find a guide and, and go off into the jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that bothered me about that approach is that if your players hurry up, they don't need to explore a lot of the city. They can find their guide and get on with it and go into the jungle. But the city, the way that it's laid out and the way that it's written, gives you a whole lot of things to do even before you go into the jungle. Oh, yeah. The city itself, I'm just kind of paging through here. It's Let me see how many pages make up the city. It's like a good 15 or so pages that just just describe the city in detail. I mean, there's so much to do there. So one of the things I – one of the things I I did – was I didn't teleport them in. I had them go in by boat. Okay. From from uh, it starts off in Baldur's Gate, and you and 
you go south into Chol. So I had them go by boat because the adventure describes uh, the dragon turtle that lives in the Bay of Cholt. But if you teleport in, you're never going to meet this dragon turtle. And there's one thing in writing, and you're probably familiar with it, that if you're going to have a gun in a drawer, that gun better shoot at some point. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point of having the gun in the drawer, right? If, if a movie's going to show me a gun in a drawer, at some point that gun better go off. Right. Right? That's an old screenwriting thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to show me a dragon turtle in a bay, at some point that dragon turtle better do something, mm-hmm. right? So what I did was I made the dragon turtle interact with the players and forced them to lose all their money on the boat even before they got to Cholt because the dragon turtle demands tribute and demands you know, passage, you know pay me for passage into the bay. So by the time the players got into the city, they were dead broke. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means that you could use some of the fun stuff that they wrote into the city because the players are going to need to make some money. Fun stuff like racing dinosaurs, fighting in the arena, uh, joining a racing team, betting on dinosaurs, that sort of thing. Um, going on some of the side quests for, for money. I mean, there's a lot of stuff written into the story that if you just sort of decide you want to skip through it and, and, and ignore it, because you have money and you can afford a guide and you can go into the jungle in day two of your arrival, well, then you've kind of skipped over a bunch of cool stuff that, that I think would make your game a whole lot more enjoyable and memorable once you're done with it, right? Mm-hmm. And it just feels like, why am I going to let all this go to waste? Let's let's enjoy some of the stuff that they've taken the time out to, to detail and, and write out and, and give us. And for new players, it, it gives you time to, for new uh, DMs, I'm sorry, it gives you time to sort of you know, get your feet wet and 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 do some you know, do some fights and do some role playing and do some do some interaction with the world and your players before you get on with the meat of the story. You know, it gives you time to get your feet wet a little bit. And the book does a good job of like fleshing out specific NPCs that the players can interact with, or different shops or locations that they can mm-hmm. you know do something with, and that's. That's all. That's something I, I wrote about a long time ago. I kind of based it off playing games like Grand Theft Auto and the other uh, Rockstar game, uh, Red Dead Redemption, where you kind of have this big open world, but from time to time there's specific NPCs you interact with, and then they send you on missions. And I thought that was just a really good way to think about running D&D campaigns of just make sure the players know about one or two people at any given time they can go to to trigger something. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this uh, port to start out the adventure is, has a lot of options for that. And it's it's kind of written that way. There's there's places where you, your players enter a, a building or something, and there's some sort of interaction happening when they walk in that they kind of stumble into and leads them into other areas or leads them into into a clue or something. So there, there's some of that cooked into the story which is part of why I think a, a big chunk of your time at the beginning of this adventure should be spent in the in the port. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for the players it gets them familiar with the with the with the story and the and just inter, just interacting with the environment. It's such a rich environment that they've they've written that it'd be a shame for players to miss out on some of that. And I think I don't know if this is what you and, and Teos were talking about, but I know there was another article recently about uh, I think from the DM David blog about why uh, D&D players don't love sandbox- sandboxes as much as they think they do. 
and how having some specific options really helps a game go forward. Did you, is that kind of the idea that you're talking about? So, yeah, I mean, look, if you look at the, so the game, yeah, it's kind of a sandbox, but it's, it's very, it's a small sandbox, right? But even the guides, like if you look at the guides and, and again, I don't want to give too much of the adventure away, but if you look at the guides, all the guides sort of have a, their own agenda and their own direction they're going to take you in based on their own needs and, and, and situations. So, yeah, there's some of that. There's, you know, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a lot of opportunities to sort of be wandering around aimlessly mm-hmm. in this world that they've put together. I think there's, there's enough going on where your, your players will always have something to do that'll eventually lead them to where they need to get. I mean, remember, you're starting off at level one. Right. Well, I mean, this this is meant to be a long-term campaign. It doesn't take you to 20, but I think it takes you to like 11, yeah, it says 10, 11, 11 something. It says like that. one through 11 on the, yeah. on the book, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of time to go. There's a lot of things to do before you get to – you're able to go to the namesake tomb. And so how do you, I, I know they – even in the in the book, it has a – you know, you can play this on a grinder difficulty or a meat grinder difficulty. How do you how do you typically approach death and dying in your campaigns? Yeah, so no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, there's a meat grinder option, which I guess it's to emulate or you know harken back to that to Mahor's feel. I, I don't know if it was really necessary to add that to this game. Um, I'm not using it in my game mechanically. It's I don't find it that interesting. You know, you got to roll a little bit higher on on your death saves instead of. Yeah, that seems to be the only. Yeah, that's change. it. Change you have to yeah, roll a fifteen instead of a ten. Yeah, it's not that interesting to right. me, and it's not something I'm not something I, I I'm using or plan to introduce. I'm not looking to kill players. Right. I mean, if they do something foolish, you'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they do something silly, then I'll allow it. Yeah. Too bad, but I'm not out to get them. And so how often uh, do you think well, – does your group plan to get together to keep going through Tomb of Annihilation? So we play every other week. Um, and then uh, the last Sunday of the month, we do like a longer game day type thing. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to think about what that math works out to as to how long it's going to take us to finish this adventure. But whatever. I'm going to try to play it as long as I can. <laughs> cool. And, and so I wonder, because this is a question I have, like getting these um, kind of these big adventure books or even getting all the content through D&D Beyond, it can seem a little daunting as a DM to know what to read and how much to read before you actually start the adventure and what you need to know. Like I grew up with uh, the much smaller modules where there was less information, it was shorter adventures. And I kind of wish they would go back to that format, which I don't think is going to really happen. So for, for DMs, like, what's the best way to approach these big campaign books? What works I mean, for you, I guess I should ask. You, you, you touched on something that I've been crying about for a while now, which is the need for shorter modules, right? Like Fandelver yeah. was great in the starter set yeah. because it was much more consumable. Like a group could play that within a few sessions. And, and one of the great things about 
about DMs Guild online at dmsguild.com is that you could find some of these shorter adventures. Uh, my issue with that is having to comb through the, the, the you know, pick through the pick through the barrel to find the good ones. You know, right. I imagine the quality. You don't know what you're getting. You don't know what you're getting. You, I guess you got to re- rely on the reviews and the charts and hope that you know they're correct. And, and I, I'm gonna assume they are. Um, there's some third-party publishers putting out stuff. I, I I'm gonna put out a, a what's it called? A, oh, I'm gonna lost for words. I'm gonna toot my own horn here. I wrote a little adventure for a Cobalt Press um, okay. book called. Um, they came out with a book for their uh, for their monster book. It was a layer, a book of layers. Okay. I had, and it's a bunch of short little location-based adventures. I wrote one in there. Um, so you know, the, the material does exist. It's not being put out by Watsy, but it's being put out by other people. Um, but for these big hardbacks, it's it's an issue because not everybody has the time to devote to these. These things are time-consuming. These things take months to run through mm-hmm. and sometimes all you have time for is a couple nights you know a couple nights to run through a 32 page adventure and and you won't get to play again in a few months you know so like for me it's one of the reasons why i've stayed away from from the big hardbacks is because i just i know that i'm never going to get through it mm-hmm. um because i just my group just doesn't they're not committed enough. We don't all have the time to meet every week or to be as consistent as we'd like or as, as consistent as you need to be for these type of books. But I, I'm t- taking a shot with, with Tomb because I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm hoping to run through the whole thing. What I did as a DM was I read the whole the whole book. Um, okay. I had a bit. I had a, I had what what I've heard referred to as lonely fun. <laughs> uh, with D and D, where basically you take you know a D and D product and you sort of enjoy it by yourself, and that's what I've done. I I I've read the um, the D and D Beyond thing up and down and and uh, read it all by myself. So I'm you know I'm comfortable knowing what the story is and, and what the players are supposed to do, and and I took it from there. Yeah, that was a point. I think my my first podcast with Mike Shabe last year, uh, Sly Flourish. He he talked about playing D and T, playing D and D like on your own time, and as a DM, like thinking about certain encounters or thinking about what the PCs might be up to or what your villains might be up to. And that he said that's playing D and D, and you should enjoy doing that when you have time and kind of be mindful about it. So it sounds like you do something very similar. Yeah, and I find fun in in even when I'm by myself, like prepping my looking through stuff and seeing what I can add to my roll 20 maps and and just kind of just I don't know just finding little things in the community to read or you know I, I can have fun with D&D even by myself even when I'm not actually playing the game but and speaking about the shorter adventures that's like when Tales from the Yawning Portal came out I looked through that and I was like oh this might actually fit for our group because it's a collection of maybe shorter adventures that we can kind of pick and choose which ones to do, and we played one session of that months ago, and then we're hoping to start back up again uh, in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited about that. Um, but I think I might transition that after a few sessions, hopefully if we can play more often, into the Tomb of Annihilation adventure. So I think Actually, Tomb, Tomb of Horrors is in that book. We were talking about Tomb of Horrors earlier, and it's it's in that hardcover. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the, I think it's the last adventure. Yeah, it's the last one in, yeah. in that book. Yeah, 
so I don't I don't think well one I think it would take me months and months to get through all that because we play once every four or five weeks so um, we just I need to get these people here more often I guess is what it comes down to <laughs> yeah or find yourself a rule 20 group yeah I thought about that what I'm telling you it's really rewarding I, I was very much against the idea when I first started playing online and, and now I really enjoy it I found myself a good bunch of folks and who I really enjoy playing with and, and it's it's fun it's 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 a good experience. And do you find do you, do you play online with folks you already like have have known for a while, or just kind of find a group and go? So I've done both for this game. I've been this game is a mix of people I've known for a while and new players that I've put a call out on Twitter or whatever for. So it's you know like like even if like a like a face to face group. You know you got to make sure you like the people you play with and. And if you don't, you move on and you find someone else that you enjoy playing with. I, I, I can't really say anything negative about it. I've, I've enjoyed the, uh, the online gaming experience. Awesome. And and Roll Twenty, you know, I'm not chilling for them because because they asked me to. I'm chilling for them because I enjoy. I think they put together a great platform and it works well for what I needed to do. And and it's easy. It's it's dummy proof and and uh, I have a good good time running games on it. So. And do they have like? Uh, video chat or something that's through Roll20, or do you have to do that outside of the client? No, it's built into the system. They have okay. video, and they have, you can do video and audio, or just audio. You could pick. Okay. We tend to we do a mix. Some of us have our cameras on, some don't. I don't. I don't require you as a GM. I don't ask you to have your camera on if you don't want to have it on. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you're playing your underwear at home. I don't care. You know, whatever. <laughs> in, ca- in character. In, in character. Right. In character. Yes. And do so, you ever, uh, how often do you actually get uh, beyond the D&D screen and be a PC in a campaign? Never. Never? Never. I haven't been a character. I haven't played a D&D character in, I think, the only times is when I go to, like, the few times I've been to Gen Con. I've been to maybe four Gen Cons. I, I, don't, I don't play. I don't get to play. I, I always DM. Why do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is because I'm saddled with this reputation for being a DM online, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is It is in the name. You've kind of pigeonholed yourself yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of expected I pigeonholed myself. You need new BPC and to yeah. start a whole new life. <laughs> but I think it's also because I enjoy DMing. I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy playing. I, I wish I could play my character. Um, and if I had the opportunity, I would. But I I do enjoy GMing. I enjoy being a DM, and and uh, it, it lets me um, you know it's funny because I, I say that it I work in TV, and TV uh, is a very creative medium, and I say about DMing that it lets me be creative, and I, and sometimes I catch myself like, dude, you work in television, you have to be creative all day long. Like, what do you mean you have to be creative? But it's got, it's like a different type of creativity. And um, I, I don't know. I enjoy it. I, I, do I sometimes wish I could play? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't mind DMing. And I think the DM is, is I don't know, bringing people to the table and bringing people to play. And, and you know, there's a lot more. On, I find this online, you know, especially, like, you know, 
there's a lot more lonely people online looking for a group to play with that if I can help bring them, you know, if I can help someone find a game and, and, and play because they can't find someone, you know, in their hometown or wherever. I don't know. I, I don't mind doing it. I, I enjoy it. So. Awesome. And well, I, for, for everybody who's, who's listening, but certainly myself, I want to thank you for being an ambassador of uh, D&D, of role-playing games for many, many years now, for, like you said, almost almost 10 years. So uh, what's what's in store for, for Newbie DM going forward? Kind of more of the same or branching out? What do you think? Um, I've been working on a, on a game, um, like a follow-up to RPG Kids. RPG Kids is a game. It's a simple it was a simple version of D&D that I wrote for my daughter when she was four or five years old, but back 2010. Um, one of the things I found with RPG Kids was with, that it kind of caught on because there was really nothing like it out there. Um, there were a lot of people who maybe wanted to play with their kids, and there was really no, no system out there for them to do it. Or And this thing, I put it out on my blog, and it kind of picked up some steam, and people decided that, that you know, it was something they enjoyed doing. Uh, and I was always grateful for that because I thought it was, you know, it was really rewarding for me to see something I created sort of take on a life of its own. But when I look back on it now, I cringe a little because it was kind of, you know, it's kind of a simple little dice rolling game for little kids, and you know, maybe it got a, it, maybe it got more popular than it deserved to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and lately, I've been thinking about how can I capture that again, maybe, you know, maybe in a different way. So I've been working on something for about two years now oh wow okay yeah it's kind of weird i have like i have what i think is a really cool setting for kids mm-hmm. uh, it's just i've been struggling with how to turn it into a game okay and because uh, i don't want to do i don't want to go the rpg kids route it's, i'm not really interested in that anymore mm-hmm. um so i've been thinking of ways to to, I'm, I'm also not interested in, you know, characters having a bag of hit points and dying or getting hurt or that's not really what I'm what I'm hoping to do with the game. I'm hoping to see how I can make kids be creative with their characters and with their stories that they're telling and that sort of thing. So unique I've, ways of solving problems. Yeah, and like yeah I've been that. kind of I've, I've, I've had a lot. I had a lot of experiences, too, with my kids where, like, you know, their attention span was kind of was kind of not very good so finding ways to run like a quick adventure a quick story with the kids that you could be done in 20 minutes because they're going to be ready to move on from it too anyways so i don't know i have some thoughts in my head about that and i've been i have the setting down packed you know it's a game about um um dragons basically kids flying around in dragons in this world that's made up of these floating islands Okay. And, and the dragons sort of only take to kids. Uh, they don't let adults ride them. So the kids, by nature, are very useful in the world because, you know, people need to get around and get things delivered and get things done. And, you know, to get from one island to the other, you need to fly, basically. So the kids are the, you know, the kids are kind of like the heroes of the world that get things done for the adults. And uh, they fight these pirates, you know, these air pirates and stuff like that on, on these dragons. But, but I'm not, I'm not interested in like a combat D and D type thing. Like it's not really a thing that's been done to death. So I'm kind of struggling with what, how to how to get that across. 
So I'm still thinking about it. I'm still working on it. Okay. But that's really what I. That's really what I'm. The stuff I've been doing, like extracurricular activities and and gaming, sort of thinking about that. Awesome. Well, good luck on that project going forward. I'm sure we'll still be in touch on on Twitter and all the other modes of, of communication here. If if you ever need a new player for Roll Twenty in the future, keep me in mind. I'd like to get. I'd like to do some of the online stuff if I can fit it into my schedule. That'd be that'd be enjoyable. Uh, it's uh, really cool. I'm, I I I enjoy being an ambassador to uh, online gaming as well because it's it's fun. So if folks have questions, if they want to check out your stuff or support what you're doing, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, so probably the best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm I'm pretty much always connected on there. I'm at NoobyDM. And uh, I have an email address. Take a wild guess. It's uh, NoobyDM at NoobyDM.com. <laughs> okay. And uh, and that's it. And then there's my website. You know, there's a message. There's a... A form there that you could send me emails to, and but Twitter is usually the best place. Fantastic, I, and, I, and I can speak to having followed you on Twitter now for uh, I don't know since whenever I've been on Twitter. Um, you're pretty active on there. Always have a lot, a lot of uh, interesting stuff to say. Uh, are very keen to engage with whoever is is writing to you. So oh, I love talking to people on Twitter. I think if you if someone takes the time to send you a, a message or, or, or ask you a question, you should take the time to answer them back and, and interact with them. Otherwise, what's the point of, of being on Twitter? Excellent. Well, we did it. We finally recorded an episode. been talking about it for a long time, so thank you very much for your time. Yay! Can I do yeah. the uh, Final Fantasy? We did it. Now I'm just picturing like being on the airship and doing all kinds <laughs> of cool stuff. Man, I love those games. Dude, my my favorite video game moment ever, ever in, in my history of playing video games was Final Fantasy. And I want to say it was Final Fantasy 3 on the Super Nintendo. Okay. And they had a scene set in an opera house. Yes. And there was an opera. And I remember going playing through that scene and i'm thinking wow this if you get past the pixely graphics and you get past the bit music this is art like i'm really watching art happen and it's it's in a cartridge in a video game machine but i'm i'm watching art those games are fantastic and then that game in particular really like touched me in a in a in a way that video games hadn't done up until then yeah, so, and I think the the opera in Final Fantasy. I think there was one in three Final Fantasy three, maybe Final Fantasy six. But yeah, those um, just some of those games would would really pull you in. And mm-hmm. I one of my favorite. I don't know which Final Fantasy was. It was a much later one because I was playing it on PlayStation. I was in grad school, and so this had to be like two thousand one. Was Final and, Fantasy seven maybe? Uh, I think it was even later than that. But I remember playing it. It was like a Friday night. And my roommate was waiting to go out, and I was his ride. And he was, like, chomping at the bit to, like, get out to the bars and stuff. And I was on the final boss. And I'm, it was one of those things where I was like, I can't pause it, and I just got to play this out. And, like, final battles in those games can take forever. Mm-hmm. And it took a good 45 minutes, and then there was 
the ending, which takes a long time. And of course, I'm going to sit there and watch the credits. And he kept coming out like every 20 minutes and being like, what are you doing? Why aren't we leaving already? I think we ended up leaving like an hour or two later. He was so pissed off. But uh, I beat the game, and I was really excited about it for the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Those are great games. Yeah. Really that fun. and the, the Zelda games. The the um, uh, Some of those games, you know, the, the, the D&D links to those games are just so so obvious. Yeah, it all stems from... Yeah. From D&D. Well, and that's a good way to end things. It all, it all stems from D&D. So everyone keep playing. If you haven't played yet, dive in. Uh, give it a try. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I had yep. a great time. I'm, I always love coming on podcasts. and It's one of the things I used to do that I really miss. I used to have a podcast, and I miss it. Well, you're certainly welcome back if you want to come on and chat about a different topic. Thank you so much, Michael.